Has Player Profiler not built up enough credibility with you people yet? I mean, how much more do we have to do? How many more years do we have to aggregate data with precision for you to trust us? I mean, how much longer is it going to take for us to become a trusted data source with fantasy footballers? <laughs> I mean, it's not like we're a data source for brain surgeons. It's not like we're a data source for propulsion engineers with NASA. We're data providers for fantasy football. And we've been doing it now for over three years. And all we've done is expand the scope of the Player Profiler initiative. All we've done is provide more data every year. And a lot of people use the site. It goes through a lot of scrutiny. Just look at running backs. We initially started providing advanced stats like evaded tackles and juke rate. This year we added breakaway runs and breakaway run rate. Yards after contact, yards after contact per touch, and then carry rates and yards per carry against all the different defensive formations, stacked front, light front, base fronts. And our team that charts games follow a detailed methodology for tracking all of these advanced metrics and stats, and we present them on the site with great attention to detail. My right-hand man managing the data on the site, Nick Coder. His last name literally means software engineer. He does a tremendous job. And I would think at this point, we've built up enough goodwill in the fantasy football community that when we post data, that you wouldn't immediately question it. So I open up my Twitter timeline and my mentions, and what do I see? Individuals in the fantasy football community questioning the legitimacy of our throw velocities. Really? Really? You think we just made those up? Think there's been some egregious error across all the quarterbacks in the class that we just we got it wrong there's no way Mitch Trubisky only throws the football 50.5 miles per hour why not why can't he throw it that slow why do you think Mitch Trubisky's so good he looks pretty good 10.1 yards per attempt 89.2 college QBR Woo! both above the 90th percentile also tremendous athleticism 4.67 40 time that's 84th percentile and an 11 12 agility score 80th percentile Whoa, holy he looks like teddy bridgewater he does he absolutely does according to the metrics but teddy bridgewater was a prolific starter at age 19 mitch trubisky didn't break out until age 21 but mitch trubisky will be a first round pick and if you're in a two-quarterback league or a super flex league, he should be a guy that you're considering in the second and third rounds of your rookie drafts. I don't disagree with that. We have Trubisky as a top three quarterback in this class. It's just a weak class. If I'm in a two-quarterback league or a super flex league, I'm considering Trubisky, but I'm targeting Pat Mahomes. But Pat Mahomes only threw at 55 miles per hour. I found a spreadsheet online from one Benjamin Albright that has Pat Mahomes with a 60 miles per hour throw velocity. Explain yourself, Fantasy Mansion. Really? Really? You're going to compare our data curation to the king of football hacks, Benjamin Albright? Apparently, three years of getting it right buys you nothing. Zero benefit of the doubt. We're talking about players I like. I generally like Mitch Trubisky, and I especially like Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Pat Mahomes looks like Dak Prescott. Sorry, did I call you Pat? I meant Patrick. Patrick Mahomes. This is the year of the full first name draft class. 
It's not Mitch Trubisky. It's Mitchell Trubisky. It's not Pat Mahomes. It's Patrick Mahomes. Okay. <laughs> you want to call me Matthew Kelly? Call me Matthew Kelly. Want to call me Matt Kelly? Call me Matt Kelly. I'm fine with it. But if I say my name's Matthew Kelly, then I expect to be called Matthew Kelly. So I have no problem calling you by your full first name. It's just extra syllables. Most of us are lazy. But if you want to be Patrick Mahomes, you can be Patrick Mahomes. And I love Patrick Mahomes because he's 6'2", 225. His college QBR, similar to Mitchell Trubisky's, right near that 90th percentile marker. Now, the yards per attempt weren't as high as Trubisky, 8.5, but he broke out at 19.0 as opposed to Mitchell Trubisky, 21.0, and he's a better athlete. 1096 agility score, 94th percentile, and his 40 time and his burst score are either at the 50th percentile mark or above. That's Patrick Mahomes. And not only was Patrick Mahomes efficient at an early age at the college level, he was prolific. As a true sophomore, 4,653 yards and 36 touchdowns. Then as a true junior, 5,052 yards and 41 touchdowns. How is Patrick Mahomes not the consensus number one quarterback in this class? I don't know. Patrick Mahomes is the number one quarterback on the playerprofiler.com rookie rankings. Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings to see where we have these players ranked. You'll see Patrick Mahomes, spoiler alert, at the number one position just ahead of Mitchell Trubisky. Now, it's a small differential between Mahomes and Trubisky, and then it's a wider differential to Deshaun Kaiser at three, and then it's a much wider differential down to Deshaun Watson at four. And the only reason Deshaun Watson is even ranked is because he will get opportunity in the NFL. He will be drafted with early round draft capital, and he will be thrust into a starting role in the NFL, even if he's out of his depth. We saw that with Johnny Manziel. He was out of his depth, both physically and mentally, as it turned out, and they still threw him in there. They will throw you in there if you're an early round pick. Book it. And it's really Deshaun Watson's throw velocity that has elicited the most vocal objections. 45 miles per hour? Oh, Benjamin Albright had him at 49. Does it matter? Really? 45, 46, 47, 48, 49. It's below 50. You can't play in the NFL if you can't hit 50 on the radar gun. Period. No exceptions. There's no quarterback in the NFL that's starting with that weak of a throwing arm. It just doesn't exist. The player doesn't exist. The comp doesn't exist. The best comparable player we have for Deshaun Watson on playerprofiler.com is Colt McCoy, and we're being generous. But the Colt McCoy comp is insulting to many of you. You think that we're getting it wrong comping Deshaun Watson to Colt McCoy. Even though so many of our comps have essentially come to fruition. No, no, this one time, unacceptable. No benefit of the doubt after years of getting it right. I think Johnny Manziel is another fair comp because I think this quarterback class is very similar to the 2014 quarterback class. We have our Teddy Bridgewater in Mitchell Trubisky. We have our Blake Bortles in Deshaun Kaiser. We have our Johnny Manziel in Deshaun Watson, a player that's simply out of his depth in the NFL, belongs in the CFL. And we have our Derek Carr in Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes will likely be drafted after those other three players, 
but he's better. He has the arm talent. He has the athleticism to be the next Derek Carr. Saw another interesting comp that came across my desk a couple days ago. Chad Williams, wide receiver, Grambling. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Malcolm Mitchell. This is a close comparison. Six foot 207, well above average 40 time, height adjusted speed score and burst score, average agility, nice catch radius, well above average college dominator, 37.4%, 72nd percentile, average yards per reception, and an average breakout age. Chad Williams is also exceptionally strong, so his Spark X score is in that 99th percentile, 137.1. Chad Williams is the impressive wide receiver prospect no one's talking about because he didn't go to the NFL scouting combine. So between the NFL scouting combine and the NFL draft, no one talks about the wide receivers that weren't invited to the combine. But then a savvy general manager will end up drafting a Chad Williams, and then once he gets drafted in the 6th or 7th round, the analysis will begin, but that's why we have this show, so we can talk about the players that aren't invited to the Combine a month before the conversations about them begin. That player this year is Chad Williams. There is nothing not to like on the Chad Williams profile, and I'm excited to see where he goes. We need him to go to a team that needs that Z receiver that needs to fill that volume flanker position because Chad Williams looks a lot like Reggie Wayne looks a lot like Jeremy Macklin Malcolm Mitchell lots of productive NFL comps on the Chad Williams profile I also imagine there will be productive comps on the Ishmael Zamora profile many more than the Cooper Cup profile Cooper Cup's two best comparable players on the playerprofiler.com database are Austin Collie and Jared Arberderis. <laughs> it's just amazing. The numbers spit out two white guys for Cooper Cup. I couldn't believe it. I was stunned. I said, you can't make this up. The algorithm really came back with these two players for Cooper Cup, the whitest player in this draft comped him to Austin Collie and Jared Abraderis. That's just perfect. I mean, that's beyond perfect. It's cartoonish because Cooper Cup is a caricature of an overrated white possession receiver. Player profiler should be ashamed of itself comparing Cooper Cup only to other white receivers. Never mind all those comps of the past like Brian Hartline to Stevie Johnson. No, no, never mind. Never mind all that. Player Profiler is trolling us with these Cooper Cup comps. Yes, they're trolling us. There's no way that's a quantitative comp. I refuse to believe it. They're just comparing players based on skin color. Three years of getting it right buys you nothing. Buys you no benefit of the doubt. And so many have Cooper Cup ranked way too high. And this is across the spectrum. Look at independent Dynasty League sites like Dynasty League Warehouse. They have Cooper Cup ranked in the top 10. ESPN has Cooper Cup ranked in the top 20. Ahead of high-quality prospects like Chris Godwin in both cases. You cannot have Cooper Cup ranked ahead of legitimate, high-quality NFL draft prospects. You just can't do it. You can't have Godwin. You can't have Cooper Cup ranked ahead of... Taewon Taylor, Carlos Henderson, Chris Godwin, Juju Smith-Schuster. You just can't do it. If you, you can, but you're misguided. Your rankings will be less accurate when you do that. Cooper Cup, please. Why have fantasy football analysts erected this machine to prop up Cooper Cup? Because 
He flashed some nice catches at the Senior Bowl. Is that all it takes? Just some wow catches at the Senior Bowl, and we will create an entire superstructure around you to prop you up in the NFL draft, ensuring that you go rounds earlier than you should on draft day, that fantasy footballers draft you rounds before you should be drafted in dynasty rookie drafts, because that's what's going to happen with Cooper Cop. He's going to go in the second round of dynasty rookie drafts, and he's no more than a fourth rounder. Cooper Cup will go in round four or five in the NFL draft, and he's no more than a seventh rounder. I understand the draft capital rationalization program that football analysts construct around the prolific skill position players from the high-profile programs. Like I understand why so many of you are questioning our throw velocity numbers for Deshaun Watson. Like I understand why you would do that. I understand the irrational exuberance around Deshaun Watson. How could you not? He just won the national championship in one of the most exciting national championship games we've ever seen. And Clemson won that game because of Deshaun Watson. So, of course, NFL scouts, NFL fans, football analysts are all susceptible to overrating that particular player. I understand why that happens. The wow factor catch is intoxicating. The wow factor throws are intoxicating, particularly in primetime broadcasts and championship games. That's why many of you are still enamored with Kelvin Benjamin, because he caught a touchdown in a national championship game. You'll never forget that. Seared into your subconscious, and you will continue to draft Kelvin Benjamin, even though he is a fringe NFL player at this point. One of the great, inefficient wide receivers of all time in the NFL, Kelvin Benjamin. But he played in a national championship game, just like Wayne Gallman did, just like Ardarius Stewart. There are scouting services that are ranking Wayne Gallman in their top five. Many are ranking Ardarius Stewart in their top ten. What? What? What are you doing? Why the need to create these elaborate rationalization programs to prop up mediocre players from high-profile programs? What is the seed of that confirmation bias? Where and when does it start to grow is my question. Because I thought we liked the underdog. I thought we liked fairness in this country. So why are you only watching tape of our Darius Stewart? Why aren't you watching tape of Chad Williams? I'm reading on Twitter, hey, that's a nice crackback block by Ardaris Stewart. Watching tape on him all day, feeling so bad that he was in such a limited pass offense. Well, do you know the pass offense they were running at Grambling? Do you know what kind of quarterback Chad Williams was saddled with? No, you don't, because you're not doing the work on Chad Williams. Why would you? You only have so much time in the day, so you're going to select the highest profile players from the highest profile programs, and those are the players you're going to build a case for and then pretend that Chad Williams doesn't exist. That's the game the film grinders are playing, and I don't play that game. So we are not ranking our Darius Stewart in our top 20 rookie wide receivers because we don't play that game. We don't have Wayne Gallman ranked at all on our dynasty rookie running back rankings. Because Wayne Gallman is Aaron Green. Because Wayne Gallman is not special in any way whatsoever. He just happened to be a cog in the Clemson machine. What if Wayne Gallman played at UTEP and Aaron Jones played at Clemson? Then we would be reading maximum praise 
of Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones would be on the tip of the tongue of every NFL draft analyst, and no one would be talking about Wayne Gallman. Not a syllable, not a word written about Wayne Gallman, the NFL draft prospect, if Wayne Gallman was wearing a UTEP jersey last year. No one would be talking about Wayne Gallman's blocking as a way to rationalize away his underwhelming production and somehow insist that he is a top five back. That wouldn't happen at UTEP. But Aaron Jones at Clemson? He would be in the conversation for the number one overall running back right there with Joe Mixon and Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, and Dalvin Cook. So I like Aaron Jones and I like Chad Williams because I evaluate all players equally based on the data that we have, not based on some arbitrary high-profile player selection bias. We'll talk to John Moore from Pro Football Focus about this. Pro Football Focus also a trusted data source for general managers, for hardcore fans, for fantasy footballers, members of the sports media. And speaking of NFL general managers, have you ever wanted to be an NFL general manager? Well, friends of the show, friends of the underworld, Reality Sports Online have built the ultimate fantasy football platform so that you can manage your team like an NFL general manager would. Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel, features revolutionary free agent auction room, which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts, and the platform can host up to 32 teams. Lots of cool features, but it does not saddle the commissioner with literally zillions of settings to try to navigate. That's why I love Reality Sports Online. Provides the sophistication without the complexity. Sophistication meaning rookie drafts, multi-team trades, franchise tags, injured reserve. That's why the next few Roto Underworld Listener Leagues will be on Reality Sports Online. And if you want to be in one of our listener leagues, go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, search Podfather, and become a member of the community, and you will qualify for one of these exclusive listener leagues. And Reality Sports Online is sponsoring one of our listener leagues. Reality Sports Online is providing all the prizes for our inaugural Reality Sports Online Listener League. And I have one more league participant to announce today, the final league participant for our inaugural Reality Sports Online Listener League. His name, Matthew Morales. Matthew's in, but there will be additional listener leagues to come. In the meantime, go to Patreon, become part of the underworld, and then stay tuned for future listener leagues. Regardless, whether or not you're going to be joining one of our listener leagues or whether you want to start your own, I would encourage everyone to, at the very least, go to Reality Sports Online and sign up for a 14-day free trial so you can see all the cool features that are available on the platform. And when you do, be sure to enter the code UNDERWORLD. I'd love to have John Moore in our listener league. John Moore, one of the original friends of the underworld during his time at Rotoviz, was a wide receiver prospect maven. And he was the co-host of the Rotoviz radio podcast with none other than Matthew Friedman, who we had on the show last week. And with Matthew Friedman, we focused on running backs, and with John Moore, we'll focus on wide receivers. Follow him at Hello John Moore on Twitter.
Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program, a show favorite, John Moore from Pro Football Focus. John Moore, talk to me. Matt Kelly, man, how's it going? It is so good to be back doing a podcast. It has been months since I've done one, and uh, to be back with you after last year's uh, episode in which we dissected the rookie wide receiver class and figured out that, you know what, the doom and gloom about the 2016 wide receivers was unwarranted. Matt, I'm glad to be back with you. Thanks so much. Yeah, some of them did well. One of them, Tajay Sharp. Tajay Sharp exceeded expectations, led the Titans in snap share. Week one, he was a starter, and he was number one on your Phenom Index at Rotoviz. He was a great example of one of those svelte receivers that didn't have great comps because he was 6'2", 190. We just don't have that many low BMI quality comps in the NFL at the wide receiver position. But fuck if Tajay Sharp didn't exceed expectations, and we called it. Now, looking at this wide receiver class, and this class overall, it's different than last year. Last year, expectations were tempered on the class. This year, expectations have been high. I think too high. I think there's been an irrational exuberance around this class. I don't think this class is what it was sold to be, and it's largely overrated top to bottom. I think it's deeper than some classes of the past. Sure, you're going to have some interesting players in round three of your Dynasty Rookie Draft to choose from. That's true, but largely overrated. Do you agree? I would agree with that. I think this is a pretty comparable class to 2015, 2016. I think 2014 was an outlier, but uh, when you look at the horizon of the last three years, it fits right into that, despite the high and low expectations that we've seen over that time. I mean, if we had the running backs in this class that we had in 2015, I would feel completely differently. But we don't. We don't have anyone that looks like David Johnson. We don't have anyone that even looks like Amir Abdullah. We don't have anyone that looks like Duke Johnson. This running back class in particular is the most grossly mischaracterized by the sports media superstructure that's grown up around the NFL draft. They love everybody, and they love everybody every year, at every position, every player. Every player's great. And in some years, yeah, that's true. Most of the wide receivers in 2014 were great. Most of the running backs in 2015 were great. And I'm struggling to find anyone that's great in this class except for that group of premium tight ends. The tight ends are exceptional, the best class since 2010 at the tight end position. But other than that, I'm struggling. Looking at the wide receivers specifically, the number one rookie in this class is underwhelming because two years ago we had Amari Cooper. In most years, we have a couple exciting wide receivers at the top. I don't feel that way about Corey Davis and Mike Williams. I get Corey Davis has a great profile. Analytics people love Corey Davis. I like Corey Davis, but Corey Davis is a small school wide receiver at the end of the day. And those always make me a little bit trepidatious. So if you had to choose between Corey Davis and Mike Williams, who would you choose? I would choose Corey Davis. And he's a guy that I've been on for a while now. So if you've been following me, that's probably not a surprising comment. I think the thing about Mike Williams that stands out is that if you look at Mike Williams and think that um, he comes from a bigger school, he, uh, you know, he has maybe... I don't know, the pedigree, if you will. He, he you know, he had the, the sexy national championship run with Deshaun Watson. Oh, he's a pedigreed player, man. He's right up there with Kelvin Benjamin. <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that really gets to me about Mike Williams is if you look at him and you're looking for a guy at the top of the draft that you think this wide receiver should really be able to take over a game, 
I think he's very good in certain aspects of the game. He's good at winning down the field. But in his career, he has just three multi-touchdown games compared to Corey Davis's 13. And granted, they're playing at different level of competition. But digging a little deeper, you look at Corey Davis and you see a guy who broke out before his 19th birthday compared to Mike Williams being age 20. Uh, And then even just down to the notion of uh, I'm really intrigued by Corey Davis from the perspective of despite the small school roots that he has gotten this run up to almost unanimous first round consideration by the draft community. Oh, I'm cheering for him. I want good things for Corey Davis. This is a player that I can get behind because he's from a small school. We want to see these guys do well. Yeah. The amazing thing to me is I I went back and I looked, and if you go back to 2005, the list of wide receivers drafted in the first round from non-BCS or non-Power 5 conferences is Roddy White and Brashad Perriman. Really, that's it. And that's a pretty small group. And then you look at Corey Davis, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to see some similarities to a Roddy White. But Corey Davis is going to be three years younger than Roddy White was when he entered the NFL. So there's a lot of upside there. I'm really intrigued by him. I think he's a rock-solid player who's carried an offense for four years now, and uh, he's my number one over Mike Williams. Yeah, Mike Williams wasn't even the playmaker that Corey Coleman was a year earlier. Mike Williams has been propelled by the wow factor catch, but after that, it's a pretty vapid profile. I mean, the college dominator below the 50th percentile, like you said, the middling breakout age, middling athleticism, just not someone that checks a lot of boxes, but scouts seem to love him. They love his ball skills. But when we look at players, it depends on how they're used. It depends on where they can win. I don't want to say that you are the totality of your metrics, Because that's a losing game. If you don't use your imagination in some cases with players like Odell Beckham Jr., you're going to fail to grade them properly. So you have to give scouts the benefit of the doubt with some of these players, particularly those they're giving first-round grades to, and say, well, okay, maybe this guy is greater than the sum of his metrics. So I'm open to the idea. I'm not dismissing Mike Williams. I have him in my top three. Right there with Juju Smith-Schuster and Corey Davis, but I'm not out there in the extreme saying this guy is going to be the next star in the NFL. I think it depends on how he's used. I think he can be a useful fantasy asset, but it goes back to what I said earlier. This is generally an underwhelming class, a bunch of guys that will fill roles for sure, but... I don't see a Julio Jones. I don't see a star in the making. Maybe Corey Davis. He has the best chance more than Mike Williams. And I really hope that Corey Davis gets drafted before Mike Williams just for my own sanity. Yeah, I I would hope that too. Uh, One thing that's really interesting to me is that for the most part, I think people would say that Corey Davis is, I think the perception is that Corey Davis would be more of an intermediate type threat. Mike Williams would be more of a, a, a deep ball jump ball kind of winner. Uh, Using the data from Pro Football Focus, if you look at passes that were thrown 30-plus yards downfield, Corey Davis had nine completions on 17 targets. Mike Williams had just three completions on 10 targets. So Corey Davis is closer to 50%, 50%, uh, Mike Williams at 30%. And I think it's just sort of an interesting case of perception around Mike Williams and jump ball and, you know, he wins at the catch point. 
I think Corey Davis can do a lot of the same things too. I think if you're expecting Mike Williams to be DeAndre Hopkins, Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, I think you will be disappointed. I think that he can be a very good receiver, but particularly the first two with Hopkins and Watkins, I don't think he's that class of a prospect by any means. Yeah, we have him as some cross between Josh Gordon and Laquan Treadwell. If we were doing a Franken comp on Mike Williams, I think that's who he is. He's some cross between those two players. And imagine Josh Gordon without the addiction problem. He would be a star in the league right now if he didn't have the substance abuse issues. So I think that's what we're looking at with Mike Williams. This is a guy that could go either way. High ceiling, low floor player. Of course, he's a guy that you want to draft if he's still available at pick four, five, six in your dynasty rookie draft. But if I'm picking at one, two, three, four, for example, if Corey Davis isn't there, I'm going running back. I don't want to invest that kind of valuable pick in a player with that low of a floor. Yep, I completely agree. So we're looking at these combine performances. Mike Williams disappointed, but he didn't participate in all the drills either. So it wasn't this massive disappointment. Which wide receiver did you have high expectations for going into the combine that just did not perform? I'm actually going to cheat a little bit on this one and say that D.D. Westbrook was a guy that coming out of the season, you looked at him and thought, man, this guy, one of the best receivers in the country, Heisman Trophy finalist, so on and so forth. But there were a lot of questions about D.D. Westbrook was a Heisman Trophy finalist. Yeah, unless I'm grossly mistaken. I did not know that. Woof. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I believe you. No, no, no. I, I'm sure he was. I just, <laughs> I'm surprised. I know he's very productive. I just didn't know he was that productive. I mean, good for Didi Westbrook. It's a great job by Didi Westbrook. Yeah. I mean, it's good. He finished fourth in the Heisman voting. Wow. What? Wow. Good for him. Good for him. Good for him. Right. Yeah. So within this context, I mean, to finish fourth in the Heisman voting as a wide receiver, that's a, that's rarefied air. That's Amari Cooper. That's, Larry Fitzgerald territory for wide receiver prospect. And then sort of inexplicably, he skipped the combine workouts. And then you see the off the field stuff about how's he doing in his interviews. And it's not forthcoming. He's had some arrests in the past, I believe. Um, and then you go to his pro day and you think, OK, well, let's whatever whatever advice he got about to run, to not run at the combine. Um, OK, we'll, we'll let that slide for a moment. But then when you look at his... <laughs> His pro day, he ran fast. To be clear, he ran fast. But at a hundred and hundred and what, hundred and seventy-eight pounds to have a four point three four shuttle, a seven point two three cone, that's embarrassing. Oof. His size adjusted agility is at the bottom among NFL wide receivers. The bottom. Uh, absolutely the worst of the combine just... inv- invitees in this year's class, no question. Inexplicable. Yeah. And so you wonder how much of what he did at Oklahoma, what's real? Yeah. What's real about D.D. Westbrook? What's real is he's 23 years old. That's what's real to me. That's why we don't have him ranked higher, because you look at the production, he was pretty dominant. Great college yards per reception, like you said, has that 40 times. So on the right team, he could be a truly effective field stretcher. Those that are looking to draft John Ross in the first round, I'm saying, why are you drafting John Ross in the first round when you can have D.D. Westbrook many rounds later? Because that's a role player in the NFL. That's fine to put him in a role to stretch the defense and help the players around him. But in terms of being a dominant fantasy football asset, I don't see it. Yeah, 
I mean, I think I think the thing that's interesting to me about Didi Westbrook is even if you want to you want to jump on his age twenty three season, that's one thing. But even if you go back and look, he was pretty he was pretty dominant at Blinn Junior College, but not until he was twenty one years old. Oh, here we go. Here we go. No, 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 no. I don't. I'm not. I feel like I'm talking to Matthew Friedman all over again with the junior college stats. And the only reason that I'm fascinated by this is that I think that there's a that there's basically a two year holding period. So if you look at guys, for example, like DeAndre Carter or Krishan Hogan or whoever they might be coming out of the uh, not FBS, not FCS, but the the low ranks of of college football, I want to understand what does it breakout age look like for those guys versus what does it look like for a major major conference player. So that's why I look at this smaller school stuff. But right, Dede Westbrook. The speed is great. Nearly 13 yards per target over the last two years Oof. is insane. <laughs> but where he lands, I think, is going to matter tremendously. The Oklahoma system, I think, requires a lot more uh, of a look. I mean, he lined up almost exclusively at right wide receiver this year in 2015, almost exclusively at left wide receiver. The way they use him is very peculiar. And you have to wonder, is he is he not a product or to what degree is he a product? Of that system, so D.D. Westbrook makes me a little bit squirrely. I can totally agree with that. You could see him being like a Tyrell Williams. That being his upside, I think is fair for D.D. Westbrook. I, I like these guys that have the speed and the great college production. I liked Will Fuller. I didn't like Will Fuller in the first round. I didn't like Will Fuller in the first round of dynasty rookie drafts. If I was an NFL team, I would not be picking Will Fuller in the first round he's a one-dimensional field stretcher this is not where you pick these guys and this is what's so maddening to me about the field stretcher archetype every year we have a will fuller or a john ross deshaun jackson is once a decade guys that can creep into that fantasy wr1 status zone and in the nfl draft the guys that fit that archetype that end up becoming successful generally aren't drafted in the first round. We're talking about T.Y. Hilton, third, fourth round zone. Mm -hmm. John Brown, third, fourth round zone. So if you're an NFL GM, you don't reach for the shiny object in the first round. You get the guy from the small school with a similar profile two, three, four rounds later. Completely agree. So that's the player that disappointed in his pro day, and I agree. I mean, 11.54 agility score, 118.7 burst score. I mean, his 40 time was nice, but only a 90.3 height adjusted speed score. That's 33rd percentile. So this is not a great athlete. I have serious questions about D.D. Westbrook, which is why he's not in our top 10 rookie wide receivers on our rookie rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings now which player exceeded expectations at the combine or his pro day for you sure well i think it would be easy here to look at guys and i mentioned one of them a second ago Krishan hogan coming out of marion college or marion university i'm not even sure oh, yeah. what oh yeah what the proper name is marion college Krishan hogan Woo, my guy well, yeah, he, he's interesting, but he's yeah. not the guy I'm going to go with. Okay. And I'm not going to go with Jerome Lane either because those are smaller school, super raw guys that you sort of expected to be big and freakish. Right. The, the guy I'm going to go with, though, is actually Chris Godwin out of Penn State. Oh, yeah. That's the right answer. Do we have the right answer sound effect? Yeah. <laughs> 
You've already got the right answer sound effect. It's only 25 minutes in. You beat Matthew Friedman. He got the right answer sound effect like 45 minutes in. Suck it, Friedman. That's right. Suck it. Okay, go ahead. No, but here's here's the thing about Godwin is because I'm, you know, a lot of people know about speed score, for example, which is basically just like a weight adjusted metric. I'm big in weight adjusted metrics across the board. Chris Godwin across the board from his combine workout was phenomenal. Weight adjusted speed, weight adjusted agility, bench. Phenomenal. Everything that you could want. The, the thing that's actually amazing to me about Chris Godwin, and I don't know if you saw this tweet. This was a, a sneaky tweet. I think maybe Gil Brandt sent it out. If Gil Brandt sent it out, I did not get it. All right, all right. Well, he, he, he sent out five-yard split times from the NFL Combine. Chris Godwin was actually the third fastest five-yard <laughs> split. So not only does he have the 40 speed, not only does he have the bench and the vert, broad, agility, all, all these things that you want, but the, the suddenness Yes, suddenness. Godwin's got that too. Look who's been spending time with the pro football focus people. John Moore bringing us the suddenness. Love it. <laughs> you got me, man. You got me. I, I mean, here's the thing. It would be one thing, I think, to say that. I think it's another thing to actually have the numbers. No, if you contextualize a term like that with actual metrics, then that's what this show is all about, baby. Well, I'm your guy. You are my guy. So why do you like Chris Godwin beyond the workout metrics? Because he also has some pretty nice age-adjusted production. Absolutely. And I actually just tweeted this out earlier today. Um, essentially a visual of age and breakout market share. Uh, Chris Godwin was a stud in that department. Um uh, averaged over 10 yards per target over the last couple of years on 208 targets. So carried, carried his offense in that regard. Um, I, you know, I think one thing that's interesting, just sort of usage wise, getting into some of the pro football focus data, um, you know, this is a guy that predominantly lined up outside, but took, took turns being left, being right, playing both sides. Whereas for example, a guy like DD Westbrook was exclusively a right side player. I, I think there are just a lot of things to like about Chris Godwin, I think, I mean, I'm not going to go quite out on the same limb that I went a couple years ago with Allen Robinson, but Chris Godwin looks a lot like Allen Robinson in his in his workout measurables um, and some of the age production stuff as well. Yeah, he looks like Pierre Garçon. He looks like Roddy White. He looks more like that archetype than he does the big, tall, explosive athlete like mm -hmm. Allen Robinson, Des Bryant. I wouldn't put him in that category, but there is this other category of player that he fits in nicely with, the DeAndre Hopkins, the Roddy Whites, all those players, all successful NFL comparables. The best comparable we have for him on Player Profiler is Pierre Garçon, and Pierre Garçon's had a hell of a career. Pierre Garçon led the NFL in targets one year. So if you're going to lead the NFL in targets one year, you've had a successful career, inevitably. Most <laughs> prospects fail. Yep. So if you live up to your successful comp, then you're doing a great job. Chris Godwin, doing a great job. Congratulations. Good for Chris Godwin. I mean, good for D.D. Westbrook. He did a great—I I cannot believe fourth in Heisman voting for D.D. Westbrook, but Chris Godwin, what I like about him is his last name is the combination of God and win. <laughs> 
Can you name a receiver that has better components to make up his last name than Chris Godwin? I'll just get right to it. I'll answer the question that was rhetorical. No, there is no receiver that has the same kind of quality football components that you would want in your last name than Chris God plus win. He's a first round pick in Dynasty rookie drafts. It wouldn't be every year. Not in 2015, I wouldn't be taking Chris Godwin in the first round, but in an underwhelming year, Chris Godwin absolutely belongs in the first round of Dynasty Rookie Drafts. He's right there for me with Juju Smith-Schuster. Now, if Godwin gets drafted in the fifth round, does that matter to you? No, because once you get past the big six, and the big six for me would be Fournette, Cook, McCaffrey, Mixon, Williams, Davis, once you get past those guys, all those prospects have flaws. So we have Juju Smith-Schuster with underwhelming athleticism and that step back that he took production-wise in his last year at USC. So there's that issue with Juju. You have the issue with Chris Godwin that he doesn't have the prototypical size and he's not the uber-dominant college player. So 34.9% college dominator is good. It could be better. So Those players are the players that you're going to be targeting regardless of where they get drafted because once you get past that top six, I would rather pick the good player in Dynasty that takes an extra year to break out than to microwave some first-year production just based on opportunity driven by draft capital like John Ross. So that's why I would rather have Chris Godwin if he's drafted in the fourth round than John Ross drafted in the first round because I believe that Chris Godwin is going to give you that production in year two, three, four, five, six, seven, whereas John Ross may give you production in year one, two, and then be flushed out of the league. Yeah. A guy that I think is somewhat comparable to Godwin is Quincy Anunua. So a couple of years ago, Quincy Anunua went in the sixth round, and that was shockingly late for a player with great size-adjusted athleticism and great age-adjusted production. A guy that was comparable athletically to Josh Gordon. It was shocking that he was drafted in the sixth round, and he was the third receiver taken by his team after Shaq Evans and Jalen Saunders. (laughs) So you know that the Jets just stumbled into a good player because their front office was completely misguided based on the wide receivers they drafted before Quincy Anunua. But you still should have taken Quincy Anunua and stashed him on your taxi squad, knowing that he could one day become a fantasy WR2. That's the move. It wouldn't be to take first-round wide receiver X that doesn't have nearly the same type of prospect profile that Anunua brought to the table. So this year, we had some players that failed the combine, which is basically why I'm bringing this up. And last year, we had some players that knew they were going to fail the combine and their agents were super savvy. I'm thinking primarily about Laquan Treadwell. And his agent just said, forget all these drills. You're not an athlete, but you look the part and scouts love you for whatever reason. So just don't run these drills unless you think they're going to help you. So when you look at Dalvin Cook, for example, and you look at some of these other players that underwhelmed at the combine, why would they even participate? Should all top prospects just fake injuries and just skip the combine and perhaps even their pro day? If they don't think participating in the drills helps their stock, why do they participate? Why? I have no idea, especially since these guys, like, presumably they train. They're training, right? That's what they do for the three months between. Yeah, and their trainers have stopwatches. Right. (laughs) 
I mean, the the amazing thing to me, Dalvin Cook in particular, and honestly, if you look across the board at the Florida State guys, and I tweeted about this, um, if you look at their high school combine things that are on ESPN.com from when they were recruits. Their high school spark camps, yeah. They're virtually the exact Travis Rudolph, Jesus Wilson, Dalvin Cook. They're virtually the exact same player that they were at you know senior year of high school. And it's just amazing to me that they do run because especially – if you think about uh, uh, getting past the combine media circus, for example, whatever you wanted to think about Mike Williams is still what you thought about Mike Williams after his pro day. Same thing with Laquan Treadwell last year. I mean, look at a guy like Corey Davis. He's hurt, but he he's totally unscathed. Yeah. Like no one cares. Yeah. That, no one cares that he is or isn't un- unathletic. But it's like asymmetrical downside because if you're athletic, people are like, okay, cool, yeah, let's bump him up a couple notches. But if if you're not athletic at all or or test terribly, like all the red flags go up and it's just like so much more trouble than it's worth. I love that term, asymmetrical downside. You nailed it. I don't know why they're not participating. And part of me in the back of – I have these – fears in the deep recesses of my mind about Corey Davis, not just small school, but thinking that he may be faking this injury or the severity of this injury so that he doesn't have to participate in any workout drills because he knows and his trainer knows that he's not a great athlete. Like that to me is a concern. I need to see the data. I can't just watch tape and assume a guy's a great athlete. Do you know how many times I've seen a guy look explosive on tape and then his workout metrics were awful? It happens all the time. That's why the eye test is useless. <laughs> Preach, brother. <laughs> right? I mean, so thinking about the eye test, I don't know if you watched any Juju Smith-Schuster, but if you did, did the eye test tell you anything watching him? I'm looking for clues, anything. I'll take the eye test. I'll take anything. I just need someone to help explain to me what the hell happened to Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Yeah, and this is this is a, a pretty popular question, I feel like. I mean, he... It's the mystery of the mysteries, man. I mean, this guy was my 101 heading into the college football season, and then... Yeah. Well, and and how could he how could he not be? <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, here's here's the thing that I almost wonder too, and it and it comes back to this notion of why does anyone care about breakout age? Because if you're Juju Smith Schuster, you finish your <laughs> you finish your sophomore season. You've just recently turned 19 years old, and everyone in the world has anointed you a first round pick. Why would you be hungry? You know where? What is that thing uh, that 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 ticks? And and I'm gonna come back to Chris Godwin for a second because I think that I've like a little bit lost my mind on on this search of what is what is the qualitative stuff in between the numbers telling us? And like, what does it say about Chris Godwin that he did every single drill at the combine? I don't know. Like, what compels someone when no one on planet Earth cares to run the 60-yard shuttle? I don't know, because there's something inside of you that wants to succeed and wants to compete, so on and so forth. Juju Smith, and and the maddening thing about this is we've seen this repeatedly, I feel like, from USC wide receivers, where guys like uh, Robert Woods, where their final season was not their best. Um, I feel like uh, Aguilar somewhat falls into that category. Uh, Juju Smith is now in that category. 
there's just a malaise, man. There's a malaise that sets in with these guys. Right. And I don't understand it. What's up with the malaise? That's why I love Chris Godwin, because Chris Godwin absolutely loves football. And you want to talk about watching film. Well, one of the things you can get from watching film is you can see a guy that clearly loves the game. That's one of the best blocking wide receivers. Some of those things actually matter. They're what drive you at the next level. It's what helps... Antonio Brown become Antonio Brown as a sixth round pick from Central Michigan. You need to want to win on every snap, even in practice. And when you have a guy like Ishmael Zamora taking plays off on run plays, it is a concern. I mean, it doesn't show up in the numbers. It's not something I can quantify, but even with a Juju Smith-Schuster, you see this. He's not participating in all the drills at the Combine. He's underwhelming in his final season because he knows he's going pro. I mean, these are the reasons why I don't feel comfortable drafting Juju Smith-Schuster in the top six picks, and I can't believe I'm saying that today. A year ago, if I was sitting here talking to John fucking Moore on a podcast, we were talking about how Juju Smith-Schuster's not a top six pick. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! No! It's real! I would consider taking Godwin over him for this reason. I wouldn't. If someone did, I wouldn't object. Your point is absolutely well made. And that's the tough thing about all of this is that I think in in this sea of data, in this era of football that we're uh, approaching right now, uh, the one piece of data that we have no insight into and we have to clutch at straws about is what the heck is inside any of these young men's heads? No idea whatsoever. No, we don't. But I do know that Juju Smith-Schuster's breakout age was a full year earlier than Godwin, and they have similar size-adjusted agility and size-adjusted speed. It's just that Godwin has more burst and a bit bigger catch radius because of it, but Juju Smith-Schuster also has incredibly long arms. These are close prospects to me. I would have no issue taking Juju Smith-Schuster or Chris Godwin at the end of the first round in a dynasty rookie draft. What's another guy that you see leaking into that first round grade in dynasty rookie draft territory someone that you think could creep into your top five wide receivers and i can't believe i'm going to say this but i i think taewon taylor might be one of those players why not yeah i mean when you look at it uh, i think ultimately he's he's kind of the the i don't know you mentioned john ross earlier like obviously he's not as fast or any of those kinds of things as as john ross is but when you look for a guy who can be a big play threat, who has a strong breakout age, who uh, has shown an ability nine times in his career, had multiple touchdowns in a game, uh, lined up both left and right. Uh, he's just, there's a lot of things that Taewon Taylor can do that for me right now, he is penciled in as my wide receiver five in this class. That's it. That's the guy. The guy that snuck into your top five. That's who I was wondering about, and it is Taewon Taylor. Taewon Taylor, three straight seasons, John, with a yards per reception 17 or greater. That is incredibly impressive from a wide receiver who otherwise profiles as a Doug Baldwin. He's small, 5'11", 203, but he's well-built. He's incredibly agile, and he knows how to get downfield. That's a great recipe for a successful NFL wide receiver. You can knock him for the small school roots like you can knock Corey Davis if you want to, but I think at the end of the day, 
his ability to win deep and uh, create big plays for an offense is exactly what you're looking for. The three players in this class that have exceptional best comparables across the board, when you look down their top five best comparables, for example, one of them's Taewon Taylor. Most of his comparables are successful NFL wide receivers. Another one is Carlos Henderson, and another one is Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel comps to players like Percy Harvin, Randall Cobb, the gadget player with upside. There's a lot of successful gadget players with upside, as it turns out, in the NFL. So those are the guys that I'm considering in the final picks of a first round in a dynasty rookie draft. And it's it's actually sad. It's actually unfortunate because none of these players look like typical first round dynasty rookie draft picks. But that's how I know this draft class as a whole is underwhelming. Because these are the players I'm considering at the end of the first round. I'm considering a gadget player. I'm considering a player who's comparable to Doug Baldwin. That illustrates the state of this class. And it is not strong. But when you look at Curtis Samuel, at least with Curtis Samuel, he has a high ceiling. Do you agree? Well, I think he has a tremendously high ceiling. I mean, he was the highest scorer of anyone in this year's Phenom Index. Uh, He obviously ran, what, in the four threes? At the combine, four three one. Four three one. Yeah, he's got it going on. I think the thing that intrigues me as much as anything, and I why I think your your Percy Harvin and Randall Cobb comps are so relevant, is because uh, those are guys that didn't really have a position um, in college. They kind of found their way around. Um, but ultimately, for someone to come out of an Urban Meyer system, have 1,200-plus rushing yards, 1,200-plus receiving yards, be 20 years old, be 200 pounds and run a, a 4-3-1-40, it's, it's hard to be too down on a guy like that. Where exactly he goes? That matters a lot. That will matter. Yes, that will matter a lot. If he goes to Jacksonville, I will lose my fucking mind. <laughs> All right. I'm serious. I won't be able to have a podcast anymore. I will. They will have to institutionalize me at that point because it will be so maddening to see him on a bad offense. He needs to go somewhere that can leverage a great playmaker on all. Like he needs to go somewhere that needs a great spatial playmaker. Like for example, the Dallas Cowboys could really use a player like Curtis Samuel. They have their slot guy. They have their outside X receiver. But they don't have the all-purpose jack-of-all-trades guy. He would fit in nicely in Dallas because I think that's a prolific offense in the making. I think Dak Prescott's going to take a step forward, and he could play that Randall Cobb role in the Cowboys offense. I would love to see him go to an offense like that that has a quarterback that has a need of that particular skill set. Yeah, I think that's a great fit. Well, another place that would I think he would go well is in San Diego, because San Diego, or now LA with the Chargers, anyway, they lost Danny Woodhead, and there is a void at quote-unquote playmaker. They have their volume flanker in Keenan Allen, and they have their outside speed guys in Travis Benjamin and Tyrell Williams, and they have their early down pounder in Melvin Gordon. What are they missing? The Chargers are missing Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel on the Chargers would be bananas. So what's the downside then here, in your mind? There's very little downside. 
That's the thing. I think that we're all miscalculating his ceiling and his floor. I think his ceiling's higher than people think, and I think his floor's higher than people think. Because even on Jacksonville, if they draft him and he's going to go in the first two rounds, they're going to manufacture touches. They're not going to be in scoring opportunities. They're not going to be accurate passes, but they will be quote-unquote touches. And that's why I think his floor is higher than anyone can imagine. So looking beyond the combine, just overall, who's the most overrated rookie wide receiver right now? You know, I think after after the top you know, five or so guys, I'm seeing a lot of different players in the 6 to 15 range. Who's the one guy in the 6 to 15 range that you think is laughable? Laugh out loud when you see him in the top 10. Who's the guy that you just laugh out loud? When I see him there, Travis Rudolph <laughs> totally makes me <laughs> scratch yes. my head, laugh. Yes. Our Darius Stewart is another guy that I see. Yes, that's mine. That was mine. No, you can't have two. Mine's our Darius Stewart. Okay. All right. Yours is our Darius. Mine's Travis Rudolph. <laughs> that's my laugh out loud when I see someone have our Darius Stewart ranked at five and I just erupt in laughter. My wife comes running into the room. What happened? What's going on? What's so funny? And I'm like, <laughs> our Darius Stewart, number five. And she just shakes her head and glares at me and walks out of the room as if why did I waste her time but she doesn't get it she doesn't get how funny it is to rank someone like Ardarius Stewart a poster child for mediocrity in your top 10 or top 5 even just because he played for Alabama because that's where it starts and ends I saw him play the national championship game he made some nice plays he must be good get out of here so Travis Rudolph why is he overrated for one it just really irks me I'm, I'm uh, Travis Rudolph stinks I, we don't need to hear it he we just don't come on Travis Rudolph give me a, get out of here most underrated wide receiver I, I think it's Taewon Taylor and we talked about him a little while earlier but to go back to the well I mean he is that guy for me go deeper go deeper who's a guy that you think no one's talking about who you can throw a dart at in the fourth round of a dynasty rookie draft and you can't say Krishan Hogan Kevin Lucas. Ah. And if you don't know who you don't know who Kevin Lucas is, he played receiver for Tulsa for the last couple of years. Um, a, a little bit on and off the radar because he uh, one was on a, a terrible team, uh, at least in the early parts of his career. Uh, but in his age 19 season, he had a breakout in the along the lines of Chris Godwin's. The year that Kiaris Garrett was hurt. Uh, correct. He and Kiaris Garrett overlapped there at Tulsa. He had a good rushing production. He had 35 carries in his career for more than eight yards per carry. He had uh, a huge breakout season at 19 years old. He's a totally underwhelming athlete, to be perfectly clear. But <laughs> in sort of a weird rushing wide receiver, you know, guy who has uh, has proven talent at a young age. Kevan Lucas is someone that I would throw a dart at late and hope that he becomes a Willie Sneed or a, a like an Eli Rogers. In a, in We're not allowed to say Antonio Brown. We don't do the cliche no. example of the guy that had rushing production and then he broke out and he saved the world as the number one wide receiver in fantasy. No, that's not allowed. We're not allowed to jump to the Antonio Brown outcome. That's not allowed. But Eli Rogers, absolutely. We're looking for the next Eli Rogers in deep dynasty leagues. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So if you're if you're making me throw a, a deep dart, yeah. I'd throw I'd throw Kevan Lucas. 
for those reasons, a few more nuggets for you. He had uh, more than half the games he played in his career. He scored a touchdown in one of the highest marks in this class. He had eight multi-touchdown games in his career. We've seen guys come out of that system. It was at Baylor, transitioned over to to Tulsa, sort of outkick their coverage, stick around in the NFL for a while. So, Kevin Lucas, there you go, Matt. Asymmetrical downside and outkick their coverage. Two tremendous terms used on the Roto Underworld pod by John Moore today. Who's more overrated, Cooper Cup or Zay Jones? You're not going to like this, but I actually think they're both pretty good. Oh, God. I, I think they're I think they're both top 10 wide receivers in this class. Oh, what? I know. I know. Huh? I'm I'm not pr- I'm not proud to be clear. I'm not proud of this oh, fact. This is but making I, me nauseous. But I think after I wade through all of it that that's where I am on it. I think that those are both guys kind of boringly 6162 200 pounds, great agility, highly productive that I could get behind what? Say it. Cooper Cup 75 years old first of all. Okay, all right. So here's here's my thing. Here's my thing. If you want to check out Hello John Moore on Twitter, that's my Twitter. You can see Cooper Cup actually has almost an identical breakout to Mike Williams. He does. 20.2 years old. He was a huge producer at Eastern Washington for many years. Yeah. Many, many, many years. He started off good and he's been good for a long time. Too long. Okay, so let, let, let me ask you this then. We talked about... If he came out last year, I'd have more respect for him. Okay, so let's just... Let's let's just... Just padding his career stats in a spread offense. He, he is. He is just he is just padding his stats. Just padding his stats so he could get to the Senior Bowl. Then he could wow the scouts at the Senior Bowl against other seniors. Meanwhile, the best athletes in the class typically come out after their junior year. Yeah. So congratulations, Cooper Cup. You had a great Senior Bowl. <laughs> Means nothing. All right. All right. So so here's compiler. You can tell me to shove it. But here's my case. We talked a second ago about guys who uh, have that chip on their shoulder, that desire to get better, whatever it might be. Right. Super qualitatively here. But Cooper Cup is that guy for as good as he's been. He thinks he's good. He's the type of guy that wears Spider-Man pajamas under his jersey. Like like a total douche. But 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 he's good. Right. Oh, God. Okay, so here's here's this guy, this Cooper Cup. He thinks he's great too, which is just oh, which makes it worse. It makes it so much worse. He's the Tim Tebow of wide receivers. I mean, he just has such a cult following and he pretends to be humble, but he's really not. Oh my god, this guy. Okay, so here's here's my case. You can tell me to shove it after this. You can shove it now, but go ahead. Okay, I'll shove it now. Over the last two seasons, he had almost 300 targets. 11.2 yards per target. That is outstanding. He returned 25 punts in his career. Three of them he took back for touchdowns. 17 yards average punt return in his college career, which is outstanding. He played, they, they played like 15 games every year at Eastern Washington, right? Because they were always going to the playoffs in the, the FCS. So I don't know what he's played. 50 some games in his career. He's a lot of college football games. Way too many college football games. He's like the frat brother who graduated and went to work at a bank, and he's still partying at the college. Van Wilder Cup, we'll call him. 
Yes, this is a Van Wilder situation. 52 career games, and he scored touchdowns in 42 games in his college career. He scored multiple touchdowns in 24 games in his college career. He is going to experience such a wake-up call when he gets to the NFL, the National Football League. Oh, yeah. Cooper Cup is going to be out of his depth. However, I do agree that if he lands on a team that needs a slot receiver and has a great quarterback, that he could be productive. We talked about Curtis Samuel on the Chargers. Well, the Chargers don't have that agile slot receiver, do they? They got rid of Stevie Johnson. They could use a Cooper Cup. He would be productive in that system. He would be productive on the Raiders, who also need that inside slot receiver with great agility. So there are teams, if you go down the list of NFL teams, that could use a Cooper Cup, and he would become fantasy viable with a fantasy WR3 ceiling. Sure. This is the problem that I have. He has a low ceiling, but I'm seeing him ranked in the top 10 and top 5 wide receivers consistently. And that doesn't make sense. Get out of here with top 10 when I could have a Curtis Samuel or a Taewon Taylor or a Carlos Henderson or a Chris Godwin. Come on. Like, for example, a player like Isaiah Ford comes from a major conference school, the ACC, which is actually one of the more challenging conferences to play wide receiver, some very underrated defenses in the ACC, and he was a mega producer at an early age, and he doesn't have great measurables. He doesn't have better measurables than Cooper Cup. They're similar athletically, but I would rather have Isaiah Ford, who put up great age-adjusted production at an early age at a major conference school. So if I were picking in a dynasty rookie draft, hell if I'm taking Cooper Cup over Isaiah Ford. I mean, I, I hear it, man. I hear it. And I want to like... You've been boxed in with the Isaiah Ford argument. Yeah, I want to like Isaiah Ford, to be clear. Of course you like Isaiah Ford. How could you not like Isaiah Ford and like Cooper Cup? What's the difference? Isaiah Ford's coming out early, and he played on a relatively stagnant offense where they had other weapons to throw the ball to, like Bucky Hodges. Cooper Cup was the only guy in one of these gimmick spread offenses. Get out of here. <clears throat> Now, you do have an argument for Zay Jones. The argument for Zay Jones is much stronger. We don't even have Cooper Cup ranked on our Dynasty rookie rankings because we don't want anyone to get the wrong idea that this guy has any kind of value in the NFL. But with Zay Jones, we do have him as a top 20 wide receiver because he was prolific at a better school with better competition, and he was even more dominant than Cooper Cup, and he's a much better athlete. So these are polar opposite players. Still both overrated, grossly overrated, but the degree in which Cooper Cup is overrated dwarfs the degree that Zay Jones is overrated. I mean, I'm happy to hear an argument for Zay Jones. I won't dismiss you like I did with Cooper Cup. I promise. No, your, your point, we talked earlier about Godwin athletic for their size across the board, and that is exactly what Zay Jones is. Strong, fast, explosive, agile. Zay Jones is all those things. I should like Zay Jones. Zay Jones looks like a Matt Kelly wide receiver. He looks like he was built in the lab for Matt Kelly to like him, but I don't. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that he's the kind of guy that is going to be a dominant interior receiver, anything like that. But I think that he checks a lot of boxes across the board. I think he's someone that wins in the 10 to 19 yard range. I think he's someone that you could get and have a strong complimentary receiver in an offense. And I... 
I think this notion of upside is one that I've struggled with recently. Where does the line exist between upside and expected hit rate versus someone who might not be as sexy and have as much upside, but but you feel pretty good about and and mostly situational dependent? This is what I object to with Zay Jones. I agree with his floor. I think I would agree with most people on his floor. He has a relatively high floor. He is going to be productive in most offenses as a complimentary flanker. He's fast Mohamed Sanu. That's what he is. But get out of here telling me his ceiling is star player in the NFL. The fuck out of here. He was a compiler with an 11-1 yards per reception. And I've already been down this road with Kevin White. And I'm not following you down this road again because the comps on Zay Jones, by and large, are not good. They're Kevin White. They're Trey McBride. Those are the comps. I was shocked because of his athletic profile and his prolificness. I thought the comps would be better. They're not. Nate Burleson's the best comp that I could find for Zay Jones. You make a great point. And I'm- it's a true story. It's a true story, John. Yeah. I want to like all these players. I swear, I go into this wanting to like everybody. I want to like everyone. John Gruden loves everyone. I want to be like John Gruden. Why not? Who wouldn't want to be John Gruden? But I start to peel the onion and I start to see some problems with players like Zay Jones. And when I'm calculating ceilings, I'm not excited about Zay Jones. I'm not chasing Zay Jones in those rounds where you want to chase high ceiling players. Give me Curtis Samuel every fucking time. I guess it just comes down to if you like you get past Corey Davis and John Ross and Godwin, Williams, Taylor, Curtis Samuel, Carlos Henderson. And then it's just like you got to go tight end. What I'm saying is you got to go tight end. You got to shift gears and you got to either go with the Jeremy McNichols, who's wildly underrated running back. He has an all purpose yes. skill set and he's still a raw inside runner and he's going to improve because he played wide receiver in high school. So that's every uh, the arrows pointing up with Jeremy McNichols in a major way. So I say you pivot to McNichols or you pivot to tight end in that zone of a dynasty rookie draft. Forget those wide receivers in that zone. What I'm saying is you punt wide receiver there. That's not where you should be drafting wide receiver. You either go early with wide receiver, get a guy like Godwin, or you wait until the end of the draft and get a Krishan Hogan. The guys in the middle, it's a minefield. It's a minefield with low ceilings. I completely agree. There it is. There it is. I thought you might agree once I made my voice louder. Here's a guy that no one's talking about that I think looks pretty good. His name's Chad Williams. But you know what, John? Chad Williams wasn't invited to the Combine. And if you weren't invited to the Combine, well, hell, you must not be any good. But meanwhile, Chad Williams has excellent comps. You know who Chad Williams comps are in the Player Profiler database? Chad Williams comps to Malcolm Mitchell. Chad Williams comps to Jeremy Macklin. Chad Williams comps to Reggie Wayne. There are great comps for Chad Williams that Zay Jones does not have. So I'm sorry, but I like Chad Williams. What, he went to Grambling and he didn't get invited to the Combine. That's it. That's the reason why you don't like him. He had a great dominator rating, similar to Zay Jones. Better yards per reception, similar breakout age, similar athletic profile. But no one's heard of Chad Williams. And I'll be honest, I put I put Chad Williams in the, uh, the look at him later bin because he wasn't invited to the combine. And... If you wanna if you wanna preach the gospel of Chad Williams, I'm all ears, but huge mistake, John. Huge mistake. He doesn't go in any kind of bin. He goes in a place where you should be paying attention to him. You like guys 
that fly under the radar, right? You like guys that weren't invited to the combine, right? I, I here's the thing: is I want to, I want to root them, root for them, but there's so, uh, so many. Uh, Andy Joneses and DeAndre Carters and but DeAndre Carter was tiny. We need to be better, both you and I, at picking our spots with these likely undrafted free agents. I'm telling you, this is the guy for picking our spots. If I had to throw a dart on one guy and wave the flag on one guy, now Krishan Hogan was invited to the combine, so he doesn't count anymore. So if one of the criteria is not invited to the combine, well, I think it's Chad Williams. Okay, well, I will. Uh, I'll make a note here. And I will uh, I'll take Chad Williams out of the bin. Yeah, get better, John Moore. Chad Williams, look him up. I'll have a drink with him tomorrow. Exactly. Now, I gave you these questions in advance, but I held back a couple because we have a segment called The Sharp Breaking Curveball. Okay. Speaking of balls, is Colin Kaepernick being blackballed? 50%. What's your favorite landing spot for John Ross? I don't have any comment on that. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. That's perfect. Perfect. Why do people like Amara Darbo? Because Michigan is one of the highest profile college football teams, and he's the best receiver they have, and he's relatively big and relatively fast and has been kind of decent for a couple years now kind of decent okay relatively all right this is what's maddening to me when you see guys like amara darbo graded higher than taewon taylor than carlos henderson than chris godwin i mean this is maddening why because their coach is jim harbaugh i mean that's the reason you just said it you nailed it these are high profile programs is what we were talking about earlier with are Darius Stewart, the ultimate replacement level, just a guy wide receiver. Are Darius Stewart. What if our Darius Stewart and Corey Davis switch places? Imagine that. Imagine Corey Davis on Alabama and our Darius Stewart on Western Michigan. Would we even know who our Darius Stewart is? And what would we think of Corey Davis? This is actually kind of an interesting thought experiment here because you can sort of play this game and this as a Corey Davis truther makes me a little bit nervous is that if you look at the 2015 Mac season and you look at who were the top receivers in the Mac that year, Garrick Dieter who played at Bowling Green and then transferred to Alabama was probably one of the top 40 receivers in college football, let's say top 50. And it's interesting that he goes to Alabama the next year, 2016, most recent college season and really is never heard from again. <laughs> never heard from again. I mean, this is why I'm nervous about Corey Davis, my friend. He was not particularly relevant. He he caught he had 29 targets, 214 yards, four touchdowns. Nothing exciting. Wah wah wah. Sad trombone sound. It, it is the trombone sound, but I don't know. I don't know how that makes me feel, though, to think that we have somebody, a high-end Mac wide receiver in 2015 that goes to Alabama and is third fiddle wide receiver there to our Darius Stewart and Calvin Ridley. Who knows? What, sincere question that I I really don't like thinking about, but like, why would Corey Davis be different? I think he's different. Well, he doesn't have the rapport with the quarterback or the coaching staff, so 
he would need to supplant the wide receiver ahead of him on the depth chart. It's similar to how the NFL works in that the NFL continues to play veteran players ahead of younger players that we believe are better. Mm-hmm. Why was Kelvin Benjamin logging more snaps than Devin Funchess? That didn't make sense, but that's how the NFL works. So we just have to eat it. So I think that's probably what happened, but it also is a great thought experiment because I think both players could fall into the ether. I think Ardarius Stewart would absolutely fall into the ether on Western Michigan. But I do think Corey Davis, if he started his career at Alabama, would end up being a high-profile star. And I think his star would shine brighter than Mike Williams. And I think by consensus, he would be viewed as the top 10 pick in the draft just because of the platform that he would have to perform on. Yeah, I think that's absolutely viable. But, you know, obviously, unfortunately, it's just a thought experiment. And we... we are going to find out when these players reach the NFL what they're made of. But again, it all highlights why I'm concerned about this. So I want to talk to you briefly about a few current NFL players that we've talked about before in previous shows. The first one that comes to mind, Jamison Crowder. Jamison Crowder broke out last year. We talked about him for years. This is your guy, Jamison Crowder. This is a player that doesn't have an exciting athletic profile, but because of the team he's on and the role he plays for that team, going back to what we talked about earlier, his ceiling is incredibly high in 2017. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think he can flirt with, uh, I don't know, a little bit better than where he was last year, but maybe in the 20 to 26 range in the the overall wide receiver rankings. I I think that's doable. I mean, it's interesting, and I think almost a red herring, that they signed both Pryor and Quick to add to the roster. I think you say, okay, well, they got those guys, they got Doxson. But when you look at it, he's the real one sort of proven commodity rapport guy who's already done it with Cousins in Washington. Yes, he's now the established veteran. Right. (laughs) He's only in his third year. This is exciting. I love Jamison Crowder, man, just because he was such a vacuum cleaner underneath all those targets, and Kirk Cousins just throws the ball so much every year in the top 10 in pass attempts, and it's not changing. Their running game is awful. Their defense is middle of the road. Kirk Cousins is going to be in the top 10 again in pass attempts, and if Jordan Reed sustains one more concussion, then all those underneath targets will be funneled to Jamison Crowder. Now, who's the best value wide receiver in fantasy right now? We're switching into rapid fire mode. Quickly, rapid fire. Who's the best value wide receiver in fantasy football right now? End of the draft. Who you drafting at great value? Pierre Garçon, wide receiver 63 in recent best ball drafts. Top 10 PFF wide receiver last year in grades. That's too late. Just got paid. I think, you know, he's got scheme familiarity. Wide receiver 63 seems really late to me. Dynasty or not, I mean, a two-year horizon even, I would feel feel good about him at that price. Good. Rapid fire. Okay. Let's clip those answers, and let's get it even shorter, even more concise with this rapid fire, John Moore. Give me that one deep, high upside sleeper wide receiver in the later rounds. Not necessarily a value, but someone you think has a high ceiling that could probably bust, likely, won't do anything. But if he gets an opportunity like Tyrell Williams last year, could explode. J.J. Nelson. Yes, J.J. Nelson. Who's this year's Willie Sneed? Give me that unathletic, underrated wide receiver 
who could be thrust into fantasy lineups in 2017. Mine's Roger Lewis. You can't say Roger Lewis. Unathletic, I would have said Tyler Boyd. Ooh, that's a really good one. But he is not underrated. You don't think he's underrated? I think he's underrated. Tyler Boyd's absolutely underrated. I think it's a great answer because Brandon LaFell was re-signed to an extension, a two-year extension. So he's still technically, technically, John. Tyler Boyd's the number three wide receiver tethered to Andy Dalton. Gross. But I agree, Tyler Boyd's a great answer. So which wide receiver could benefit most from situational uncertainty and turbulence over the next few months? Think Will Fuller if Tony Romo goes to Houston. Who's that guy for you? I'm stumped on this one. Come on, you got to give me some kind of improvised answer. Fake something. Give me something. I mean, just give me a quick moan. Make me think that you're into this. Fake it, John. (laughs) Uh because I can't think of one either. This is an impossible question. I gave you an unsolvable conundrum question. It's time for the sharp-breaking curveball. Pro Football Focus charges $250 a month, $3,000 a year for signature stats. So what I want to know from you is, who is that guy? Who is this person? who is paying $3,000 a year for football stats because I have an uncle who is the prince of Nigeria who desperately needs this person's help. (laughs) I don't know if I'm at liberty to say who that person is. Uh, We're looking for the guy, John. We've been doing an ongoing segment on this show. Who is the person who's out there paying $3,000 a year for pro football focus? There are people that do it. I will say that. Uh, I will say that they they more often than not seem to have a proclivity for champagne yachts. Well, probably that too. Do they own their own submarine too? Gambling seems to be to be a part of it, but ah, that's the answer. That makes sense. That makes sense. The high rolling sports gambler. That's the guy. Okay, we solved it. I do want to say this though that. I didn't work for PFF when Chris Collinsworth bought the company and premium stats went away or not went away, but went away and then came back at a a very high price point. I will say that everyone is very, very much aware of the perception, the frustration, and we are working very hard to have a solution in the near future that people will be excited about. So um, I I do want to make that clear and that, you know, everything uh, that has happened in the past has, has resonated and, and we're trying to get to a better place. And she gave me diamonds and pearls and a pro football focus membership. Would you be a happy boy or a girl? Or fantasy football gamer. Okay, give me a dynasty price check on Tajay Sharp because I just drafted him in a dynasty startup and I couldn't help but think about our conversation on the podcast. And I'm excited. Should I be or? What did you pay for him? Late. 15th round. No one likes Tajay Sharp and I don't understand it. He was a full-time starter at 21 years old. He's going to be a productive player in the league. That's his destiny, is it not? I would say it is. I mean, if you look at look at people who had 500 plus receiving yards in their age 22 season, that's a pretty good start to a career, especially in an offense that you know wasn't exactly a, a passing juggernaut. 
I think that if you got him in the late rounds, that's uh, he's. I mean, he's certainly a guy that I would still be trying to buy. Like that, I'm still optimistic about in dynasty. Nothing that I saw in his rookie year said, "Oh, you know, Tajay Sharp can't play. He's not somebody that I want." Yeah, the depth of target was there. I mean, there was a lot to like. It was just low volume because. He was a skinny 21-year-old out there trying to get open against NFL corners. Give Tajay Sharp a break. I don't understand why we can't give the benefit of the doubt to 21-year-olds that log an incredible snap share. I, I don't understand that. Rapid fire. Which wide receiver are you absurdly more bullish on than Dynasty Consensus? Mine's Marquise Lee. You can't take Marquise Lee. Don't take my Marquise Lee. Someone like that. Kenny Britt. Yes. Yes. That's my language. Why has Kenny Britt been so dismissed in Dynasty? On the DLF consensus rankings, he's 25 spots lower than he is on the player profiler Dynasty rankings. I think it's just about perception. I mean, and this, oddly enough, at the back end of a draft show, this all comes back into play. So Terrell Pryor just vacated Cleveland and is replaced presumably by Kenny Britt. I think you would look at those two guys and say... Terrell Pryor is an ascending player in the league. Kenny Britt is perhaps a, a, a descending player in the league, but they're effectively the same age. Yes. And one of them has, I don't know, what uh, Terrell Pryor has 79 career receptions and Kenny Britt has 309, but what, what does that matter? And we talked about efficiency metrics versus volume related metrics earlier. Well, Kenny Britt's been hugely efficient with inaccurate quarterback play for years, and he's going to have to do it again in Cleveland. But if there's a guy for the job, it's Kenny Britt. We need a guy who's going to come in and be efficient with bad quarterbacks. Well, I got a guy for you. It's Kenny Britt. If you need that guy, that superhero to show up on your team with a cape and a mask, then you call Kenny Britt or you put a Kenny Britt light in the sky and he just arrives. He's like, you called? You need great efficiency with a bad quarterback? I'm Kenny Britt. Yeah, I mean, and he was easily uh, the most efficient receiver on that roster last year in L.A. He He's always the most efficient wide receiver on any team that he's on. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, he's he was so undervalued because he's been castrated on these offenses that are the most constipated offenses in the league year in, year out. It's amazing the unfortunate circumstances that Kenny Britt has found himself in in the National Football League. All right, so just a, a quick check. So there's a, there's a metric over at PFF that I like to look at called wide receiver rating. It's basically just what is the quarterback rating when throwing at that wide receiver. Last year, Kenny Britt's was 96.2. By comparison, Terrell Pryor's was 73.6. So Kenny Britt ranked 47th in the league. Terrell Pryor ranked 79th. Wow. So I think there's, I think you could almost make the case that, that Cleveland is upgrading there. I have no doubt that is an upgrade. Now, Terrell Pryor's a little younger, and I think he has an exciting ceiling, especially now on Washington. But if Terrell Pryor had stayed put in Cleveland and Kenny Britt had signed in Washington, well, those two players would be flipped in our dynasty rankings. Yeah. Last question. I'll get you out of here on this one final question that I always ask. What's that one player? He's been in the league a while, hasn't broken out yet, but you qualify for truth or status on. He's probably broken out more than you'd like, but I'm going to say Torrey Smith. And the reason I'm going to say that is because I'm a longtime Torrey Smith believer. I don't necessarily think that 
This is like a retroactive trutherism. Okay, fine, fine. All right, all right. I'd have no problem with you changing the definition slightly because he has been discarded by the fantasy football community. Yeah, he's been discarded. And I think it's unjustified. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about Torrey Smith. Sure, sure. I, and I'm going with the the not dead yet approach. Not necessarily they haven't they haven't broken out yet. Who's not dead yet? But yeah, I, I think if you look at Torrey Smith, I mean, we know what he was in Baltimore. You remember that he played receiver in uh, at Maryland in college. And I can just see this world. I mean, if you look at his grades from from the start of his career until he went to uh, until he went to San Francisco, they were pretty pretty consistent and not necessarily elite, but definitely above average. He existed between the 72 and 76 range. So a solid receiver in the NFL. Year one in San Francisco, 66. Year two in San Francisco, 46. And I just, I think you go out there and you're with Jim Tom Sula. You're the entire length of the country away from where you grew up and your family and friends. Then you, he gets discarded and then it's Chip Kelly. And now he's going back. He's closer to home. He's out there running wind sprints. That's what he's doing. With a nice young quarterback, paid, paid money. I mean, he has a very particular use, as does Jordan Matthews, and they're not the same. And I think that there's a role that he can carve out in Philadelphia where he resurrects his career and is not dead yet. We talked about this with D.D. Westbrook. The role of field stretcher is a coveted role in the NFL. That's why every year you see a Will Fuller and this year a John Brown get drafted in the first round. Because there are not enough field stretchers to go around that can make plays on the ball. There are not 32 of those players, John. So Torrey Smith will always have a role as long as he's fast. It's just that so very few of them have ball skills like Kenny Stills and Deshaun Jackson. Kenny Stills is one of, if not the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL because there are precious few field stretchers with ball skills. Torrey Smith does not have ball skills. He is an inefficient player, always near the top of the league in drops, and he will be because that's who he is. He even led college football in drops at Maryland. But what is he? He's a big play wide receiver, and he stretches the field, and he allows guys underneath to make plays. It's just that when Blaine Gabbard's the quarterback, he's never going to opt to throw the ball. If he thinks the safety has any chance to get over there, Blaine Gabbard is going to keep that bullet in the chamber. He's not going to let it loose. Carson Wentz is the type of quarterback who will let those throws loose. So I like Torrey Smith on the Eagles. I think he can carve out a role. And I think we've seen Alshon Jeffrey miss a lot of games. Alshon Jeffrey's middle name, I'm not sure you know this, John, is game time decision. Week one already. Yeah, 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 it's a good one. Uh, and we know that Jordan Matthews, he's one of those volume flankers. So he's not going to be encroaching on Torrey Smith's role at all. And I think that Torrey Smith could, in unison with the entire Philadelphia Eagles team, take a step forward and reemerge as a fringe WR2, more like a WR3, depending on the health of Alshon Jeffrey and Jordan Matthews throughout the season. Torrey Smith is available in the final rounds of Dynasty Startups. Torrey Smith has two top 30 seasons in fantasy on his resume, and those weren't with a prolific quarterback. I mean, Joe Flacco has a great arm, but he's not a 5,000-yard Drew Brees-type quarterback. So I like Torrey Smith. Yeah, he's. this is his sixth, or this will be his seventh season 
in the first five seasons of his career, he played every game. Yeah, he still has his speed. He's still the same playmaker he was in Baltimore. Nothing's changed. I like to do this thought experiment. What do you think has really changed with Torrey Smith? Do you think he's this dramatically different player? No. Same argument for Mike Wallace last year. Do you think Mike Wallace spent two years on the moon and he's lost all of his explosion? All of his fast twitch muscle fibers have disappeared? No. He's still Mike Wallace. He's still the same player. He hasn't transformed into something completely different. He's been betrayed by circumstances and his supporting cast. He goes to Baltimore, boom, he's fantasy relevant again. That's what's going to happen to Torrey Smith. He's following that Mike Wallace career arc. Who is this person who is paying $3,000 a year for football stats? Because I have an uncle who is the prince of Nigeria who desperately needs this person's help. The reach of this next product is going to be huge. I want to like all these players. I swear, I go into this wanting to like everybody. I want to like everyone. John Gruden loves everyone. I want to be like John Gruden. Why not? Who wouldn't want to be John Gruden? But I start to peel the onion and I start to see some problems with players like Zay Jones. And when I'm calculating ceilings, I'm not excited about Zay Jones. I'm not chasing Zay Jones in those rounds where you want to chase high ceiling players. Give me Curtis Samuel every fucking time. I completely agree. So congratulations, Cooper Cup. You had a great senior bowl. Means nothing. He's the type of guy that wears Spider-Man pajamas under his jersey. Yes, this is a Van Wilder situation. I completely agree. You realize when I was doing the show sheet, the idea that you would love Cooper Cup never occurred to me. How is Cooper Cup different than Jamison Crowder? He's older than Jamison Crowder now. I mean, I feel like this is Adam Sandler playing dodgeball with five-year-olds. Cooper Cup boxing out random small conference defensive backs. Come on, man. How many times do we have to be fooled by these senior bowl high risers? That's how his prospect profile became a helium balloon. Come on, John. What I care about is the three career punt returns and the the multiple seasons over 30 yards or 30% market share and catching a touchdown in damn near every game he ever played in college. Those are things that I care about. I will give you that he's a good football player, but I also thought that Austin Colley was a good football player. And Austin Colley, tethered to Peyton Manning as the number three receiver for the Colts, was absolutely fantasy relevant. And I think that's what Cooper Cup needs to do to be fantasy relevant, is to land in the ideal situation. He needs to go to the Saints. If he doesn't go to the Saints or the Chargers, I throw my hands up in the air be the Paul Revere that's warning the villagers. And if I have to say it very loudly and have to use hyperbole, I'm okay with that. As long as they don't accidentally pick a Cooper fucking cup in the first round. You can tell me to shove it after this. You can shove it now, but go ahead. Okay, I'll shove it now.
I understand that in the grand scheme, in the aggregate, there's a handful of metrics that matter the most, but pretending that those are the only ones that count, it, it kind of limits your storytelling. You can tell me to shove it after this. You can shove it now, but go ahead. Okay, I'll shove it now. Someone have our Darius Stewart ranked at five, and I just erupt in laughter. My wife comes running into the room. What happened? What's going on? What's so funny? And I'm like, our Darius Stewart, number five. And she just shakes her head and glares at me and walks out of the room as if, why did I waste her time? But she doesn't get it. She doesn't get how funny it is to rank someone like our Darius Stewart, a poster child for mediocrity, in your top 10 or top five even just because you played for Alabama because that's where it starts and ends I saw him play the national championship game he made some nice plays he must be good get out of here suck it Friedman so Alshon Jeffrey's middle name I'm not sure you know this John it's game time decision because I did like a whole show on Colin Kaepernick so it's just it's just a way to be like awkward and funny and you know what I'm saying? I believe you. No, no, no. I, I'm sure he was. I just... I'm, I'm, I'm surprised. A sneaky tweet. I think maybe Gil Brandt sent it out. If Gil Brandt sent it out, I did not get it. Look who's been spending time with the pro football focus people. John Moore bringing us the suddenness. Love it. You got me, man. You got me. I, I mean, well, I'm your guy. You are my guy. Yeah, and I love the Inunua example, buddy. I love that. That's why the eye test is useless. Preach, brother. I'll take the eye test. I'll take anything. I just need someone to help explain to me what the hell happened to Juju Smith-Schuster last year. Preach, brother. I know. A year ago, if I was sitting here talking to John fucking Moore on a podcast, we were talking about how Juju Smith-Schuster's not a top six pick. Blasphemy! Blasphemy! Yeah, I, I completely, completely agree with you. Are you okay? What's happening? Is there a windstorm? Did you get blown off your chair? Sorry. If he goes to Jacksonville... I will lose my fucking mind. Preach, brother. Curtis Samuel on the Chargers would be bananas. He looks like he was built in the lab for Matt Kelly to like him. But I don't. Preach, brother. Suck it, Friedman. Suck it, Friedman. Fake something. Give me something. I mean, just give me a quick moan. Make me think that you're into this. Fake it, John. Honestly, I would just, I'm going to punt. I'm going to punt. Just edit that out kidding me i'm not editing that out you're punting a question on a podcast about wide receivers we need a guy who's gonna come in and be efficient with bad quarterbacks well i got a guy for you it's kenny Britt. if you need that guy that superhero to show up on your team with a cape and a mask then you call kenny Britt, or you put a kenny Britt light in the sky and he just arrives he's like you called you need great efficiency with a bad quarterback? I'm Kenny Britt. Suck it, Friedman.